you're listening to the Whitewater Podcast. First off, we just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy what you hear today, please subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast. If you want to support what Whitewater is doing, you can go to whitewaterchurch.org give or click on give in the show notes. Let's dive into this week's message together. Hi, Whitewater. I'm Kate Konzelman, and I get to share with you this morning. I have been a member of Whitewater over the last seven to eight years and love this community. My husband, Derek, and I and our daughter, Camber, live in Sumner, and I am a mental health therapist. I've gotten to share sometimes with Whitewater about that, but today I get to actually share with you from Acts as we continue on this series. I'm going to read this section of scripture in its entirety so we know the full context, and then we can kind of explore what I've been learning through it together. This is Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told next what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up from the ground, and but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision and calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man is doing to the believers. And he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest anyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went, found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for the scripture and the way that it leads us to know you better. Jesus, I just pray that your message would be spoken today, not mine. And in your name we pray. Amen. 
This story is so powerful. It is one of the most famous stories of conversion or redemption in the Bible. But first, let's talk about some quick context. Who is Saul? More commonly known as Paul, Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Philippians, Romans, so much of the New Testament that we read and study was written by Paul. He's known as one of the leading people of Jesus in that time, and we still refer to him for so much that we learn from our faith. But at this time, he was referred to as Saul. And Saul was actually a Pharisee at this time. He was a religious leader. And to be a Pharisee, it meant that you spent your whole life studying the scriptures. They referred to that as the Torah at the time, that you lived in strict obedience to the religious law, and ultimately that you dedicated your whole life to living a certain way. The Jewish root word of Pharisee actually means separate, meaning that they were separate from others. They were considered close or closest to God, and they viewed themselves that way, that they were to be separate. And Saul believed he was right. He believed he was so right that he was on mission with orders that he had requested to kill Jesus' people. Historians believe that this was approximately, this time of the conversion was approximately four to seven years after Jesus had been crucified. So Saul and Jesus actually lived during the same era. However, they don't think that they ever met in person or their paths crossed. However, Saul definitely knew about Jesus. And despite the fact that Jesus had been crucified several years earlier, his followers, the Jesus people, were flourishing and growing in number, which is why Saul is threatened here, why Saul's concerned, and why his interest is to eliminate them. Sometimes I think we forget that this is Saul's context when we read all these other pieces about Paul. So ultimately, Saul believed that Jesus was a liar. Jesus came claiming to be the Son of God. And it's not that Pharisees didn't believe that the Son of God was not going to come. They did believe that. They studied the scripture. They believed in the prophecies. It's just that they believed that when the Son of God arrived, he was going to be coming straight to them, commending them, and ruling among them. That he was going to be sitting on the throne that they had prepared for him. He was going to be a king, a ruler. And Jesus came in a stable. Jesus came in a barn, and he spent his life living among the people. And so the Pharisees, Saul, as an example of this, didn't recognize him, didn't know him for who he was. So when he was crucified, ultimately Saul believed that was the end of Jesus, that he didn't resurrect. And without the resurrection, Jesus is just a man. Without the resurrection, Jesus would be a liar. And Saul was on mission to end the people who claimed that Jesus was resurrected, that Jesus was Messiah, that Jesus was Son of God. But Jesus had different plans for Saul, as he often does for us. Um, Saul believed he had found God. But as Timothy Keller says, you don't find God, God finds you. And boy, did he come after Saul. Can you imagine how Saul must have felt confronted with Jesus himself, the very thing he was certain was a lie, the very thing that he had set his path in life against? 
And here he was being blinded by a light and being spoken to by Jesus himself. I don't envy Saul's experience here, but I do love the power of the imagery that Jesus uses with Saul. Don't you think it's ironic that this man, Saul, who laughed at the idea of the resurrection, who mocked Jesus for claiming to be the Son of God and likely was an advocate for his crucifixion, is himself now blinded and in darkness for three days? Three days, the same amount of time that Jesus spent in utter darkness in the grave after the crucifixion before rising from the dead. I love the power of that and the picture of that, that Jesus is allowing Saul to experience the crucifixion and resurrection for himself. After three days of darkness, Jesus sends Ananias. And can we just pause and acknowledge that Ananias is a very courageous person? He knew exactly who Saul was, and he knew exactly what Saul would think of him. And yet Jesus said, go, and he went. And when Ananias lays his hands on Saul, he leads with brother and prays that Saul might have the Holy Spirit. Ananias knew full well who Saul was, yet when he prayed for him, he claimed him as family. That was Jesus speaking to Saul, saying, you are mine. Welcome home. And with that, the scales fell from his eyes, and he is baptized and begins to publicly declare that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. The man who laughed at the resurrection is now experiencing it for himself and declaring it to others. See, the evidence of resurrection is in the life that follows it. Conversion can happen in a moment, but resurrection is a journey over a lifetime. Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that there's power here in this story for you? What do you think that Jesus wants to resurrect in you? Saul's conversion should bring us hope because his story bleeds redemption. He represents what seems unredeemable, too far gone, unreachable. And yet Jesus meets him there. Jesus finds him and confronts him with the beauty of resurrection. What feels unredeemable for you? Is there part of you that just seems always broken? I'm going to be honest. I struggled with this story a little bit. Honestly, it feels a little bit like magic Christianity, bippity-boppity-boo, right? Like evil Pharisee off to kill the Christians, sees this bright light, hears Jesus, is blinded for three days, gets prayed over, the scales fall from his eyes, the Holy Spirit enters, and he trots off to begin ministry and become one of the most famous and renowned historical Christian people to this day. And yet, life's hard. And I'm struggling. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe the resurrection. I have, I have been converted. I'm a Jesus person. But I still get these things. I still got this stuff that seems to just follow me in different phases of my life, the stuff that keeps reoccurring and coming up for me. I mentioned I'm a therapist, more specifically a trauma therapist. I specialize in um, childhood trauma. The crazy thing about childhood development is that the narratives we were raised believing, 
the narratives that we were raised believing about ourselves are actually formed with our brains. By three years old, 80% of your brain is developed. And with that, the narratives that you were taught about yourself. So I'm not saying you have childhood trauma. It doesn't really matter if your childhood was traumatic or not. Whatever that narrative was, whatever those things you, you believed as a kid or heard about yourself or learned about yourself are deeply ingrained into the hardwiring of our brain. Let me name a few of these things that I often hear at my office. I'll never be smart enough. I'm broken. I am what has happened to me. I am my abuse. I'm not lovable. I'm scared. I'm addicted. I'm completely out of control. My anger controls me. Maybe some of these resonate or feel familiar to you. I know exactly which ones resonate with me and feel familiar to me. So I go back to this story with Saul, and I want to... I want to connect these things. Saul's story didn't end there. In fact, it was really just the beginning for him. Jesus gives the power of salvation in a moment, but continues to save us day by day. Later in his writings, specifically in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that he begged God to remove this thorn in his flesh. And Jesus responded, my grace is all that you need. My power is made perfect in your weakness. There's no shame there. There's no guilt, no disappointment, just an invitation to grow closer. Jesus knows our weakness. Jesus knows our brokenness. He finds it as an opportunity for relationship with him. And he led with weakness. He spread his arms wide open on a cross. And the world thought of that as weakness. The best thing he can do is let us unravel. Because until we do, we will not see ourselves honestly. And if we don't see ourselves honestly, we will not recognize our need for resurrection for him. I think about this story and I think about the fact that he was Saul and then later is called Paul. And I wonder why that happened. Saul was actually his Hebrew Jewish name, and Paul was his Greek name. This was actually a common thing um, at that time that people had interchangeable names depending on the context they were in. Oftentimes when this scripture is taught, pastors have, have said that Jesus renamed Saul in this conversion, but Biblical historians actually say that's not true. It's true in other stories about the Bible where Jesus will rename his people when they're converted, but he didn't do that with Saul. In fact, he addresses Saul as Saul when he comes to him on, on the road to Damascus. And when he tells Ananias to go to Saul, he calls him Saul. And Ananias calls him Saul. And actually, Saul is referred to as Saul 11 more times throughout Acts. It's not until he starts his missionary ministry that Luke actually refers to him as Paul for the first time. And then later on, Paul begins to identify himself as Paul. As you read, when you read different parts of the Bible, he will call himself Paul 
Why does this matter? Why am I bringing this up? Because I believe it's evidence that however sudden Saul's conversion was, his journey into faith was just that. It was a journey. As he began to identify less and less with the Pharisees and more and more with Jesus, he became Paul, which because it is his Greek name, means he was identifying more with the Gentiles. This is significant because those are the people that when he was a Pharisee, he would have considered himself separate from. And as he moves away in that identity from his Pharisee Jewish name, Saul, and identifies himself more as Paul, he's also identifying himself with those people. He's changing from a separatist to a collectivist. Jesus makes us brand new and has time for our healing. It's a yes and. That's why I think this is so important. Because as Saul changes his identity from being separate to more collective, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of being a part of the body of Christ. Ananias understood this when he prayed for Saul and led with brother. And Jesus, when he addressed Saul on the road to Damascus, when he said, you are persecuting me, that's Jesus identifying with his believers. Because he's saying, when you hurt my people, you persecute my people, you hurt me, you persecute me. That's so different from what Saul had experienced before this time. The kingdom of God, Jesus, invites you to join a family and not a perfect people. Saul is our reminder of that. We're people of recovering from brokenness, hurting, angry, fearful. We're all there. So yes, you're addicted. You've been abused. You royally lose your temper. You don't stand up for what you think is right sometimes. Welcome. Jesus invites you to know him now, not when that's completely sorted out. He calls you brother and sister now. Then invites you to journey with him towards healing. Hey, Whitewater family. Thanks again for joining us this week. At Whitewater, we believe in creating an environment where you can belong before you believe. If you want to learn more about who we are and what we believe in, visit us at our website, whitewaterchurch.org. If you'd like to contribute to Whitewater financially, you can give online at whitewaterchurch.org give. Or if you want to get involved in blessing our communities or are interested in joining one of our home churches, email us at info at whitewaterchurch.org. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.